Good morning, Chapelwood family. Happy holidays. If you'll join me in the prayer for illumination, let us pray. We know you are with us, O God, yet we still await your coming. In the darkness that contains both our hopelessness and our expectancy, we watch for a sign of your hope. Open our hearts and minds to the light that is your word. Amen. Our first lesson comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, and verse 16. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I'm living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. May God add his blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the living of his holy word this day. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign in the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country and there entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. As we start a new sermon series today, I wonder, have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been, I know it looks like I've never been hungry, but have you ever been hungry? I remember a couple of times over the course of college and high school um, having either planned fasts or unplanned fasts. Hunger starts just as a beginning sensation in your stomach. It starts with just a kind of a sense of appetite that something's missing. And of course, in in our world of uh, planning our lives by meals, um, it feels like we've missed something when we don't eat. And and over the course of the time uh, that we have not eaten, that little sensation becomes uh, the feeling of a pit, the feeling of a, a hole being burned into the lining of your stomach. It, it becomes uh, something that is all-encompassing, something that feels as if it affects your whole body. I remember doing a, a fast for 30 hours. Personally, it's kind of humorous that I could do anything for a sustained 30 hours. I mean, uh, a little bit of ADHD goes a long way. But in the midst of that 28th, and 29th and 30th hour, it became hard just to do basic things, to to read a book, to listen to a song, to think about what I would do next. You see, small hungers turn into great starvation. That when we yearn for something, that yearning can become an obsession of ours. It can be the thing that we have focused our whole lives around. Now, if you've had this experience, you know that once you find food, it could be um, filet mignon, it could be a happy meal. It doesn't matter because it's not going to be tasted as it goes down because you're so ravenously hungry. The very animal part of you is going to take over and satisfy that starving hunger. In fact, once we've been starved so long that that moment of eating 
It's not something that we want others to see. It's not something that we want publicly displayed, the meeting of our need when we have been starved in the midst. It's an ugly sight to be seen. Advent is about longing. It is about yearning. It is about uh, an emptiness in our heart uh, that we try to fill with so much, but it can only be filled with God. It's that moment when we find ourselves lacking. Uh, It's amazing that Advent begins after Black Friday, right? Uh, We have found many deals that make us feel good, but the feeling good does not last. We have eaten lots of food, good food, maybe even slowly and intentionally tasting each bite, but still it doesn't satisfy the deepest part of us. It's interesting that Advent begins right after Black Friday. Hunger is one of our most basic needs. It is the easiest one to think about. We all know that we need food and water. How does it go? We can live three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but how long can we live without hope? See, Advent is about yearning for the hope yearning for the coming of an answer, uh, the yearning for uh, a God who breaks into our lives and changes our circumstance. So maybe for you, it's not yearning for food, but we all yearn for something. I remember uh, working with a couple at a previous church that was yearning for a child. They were young, and uh, they were newly married, um, and they had spent so much time and energy uh, purchasing a house and getting jobs that would allow for them to lay a financial foundation that um, she had already decorated the nursery. You know, that's a bad sign, right? And they had already purchased uh, the nursery furniture. They had already selected the heirloom from their parents that they wanted from their childhood to be included in this new unnamed child that they yearn for and long for. And they had, um, we're in mixed company, worked hard to have a baby. We got a little humor there? Worked. Okay, it's all right. Kids ask parents in the parking lot. It'll make sense later, right? They've even worked so hard that they've engaged the services of a medical doctor because surely something must be wrong after this many years of yearning for a baby for one to not come yet. You see, in the way that they had put their lives together, the way that they had laid out their homes, the way that they had even selected their hobbies, filling their time until the time came when they would fill their lives with a child, they were ready. But these temporary fillers of time had started to feel quite permanent. They had the regular table at the restaurant on Friday nights. They had the regular matinee that they would go to on Saturday. They had the regular things that they would do regularly that they no longer wanted to do regularly. They wanted their time to be assumed by a needy infant that would coo and spit up and make stinky things in diapers. This is truly a calling. But what do you do when you have a calling, but it doesn't ever culminate? You know what it's like to yearn. 
We, we know what it's like to long for something. And so as we look towards our scripture, we begin to see what does it mean to, to long in the midst of Advent? Our uh, scripture story, 2 Samuel chapter 7, is the story of David who has longed to be king for a long time. In fact, he was a refugee for a long time, running from uh, the current king. Always bad when you want to be king if there's somebody already in the throne. Um, that he had longed to fulfill his calling as a king. And so now, as he sits back and reflects in his palace, as the Israelites have been planted firmly in the promised land, he looks around and surveys his kingdom. And what he sees is that the God that had delivered him to the throne was still living in a tent. I'm sure King David probably thought, you know, we are not like those people who wander. We are not sojourners. We are not nomads to live in tents throughout the desert. We are the people of Israel who has a king who lives in a palace. And so certainly our God should have a temple. And so he asks Nathan, who is his best friend and prophet, does this sound good? And Nathan says, go for it. God's with you. But then God wakes Nathan up at night and says, did I ever ask for a temple? Did I ever say I, I wanted a permanent place to be where everybody could come and find me? No, I made my uh, work by being among you. Wherever you went, I went. I, I wandered among your leaders. I led you through the desert, through the Red Sea, up out of Egypt, and took you from slavery to a nation. But did I ever ask for a palace? And so, um, interestingly enough, uh, God says to Nathan, go and tell your friend David, I don't need you to build me a house. In fact, I promised from day one, that I would make you a house. And then if you'll fast forward uh, the videotape, uh, the DVD, the scroll, the YouTube video down towards the end, you come to Luke chapter one, our second uh, passage of scripture, where here we have the angel announcing to Mary that you will have a child. This is not good news for Mary, okay? At first blush, Mary is an unwed uh, teenager in a very oppressive society that, affect, that expects uh, women to be um, seen and not heard. They are property and they are good for uh, making children, but only once you're within the confines of marriage. And before her marriage day, the angel comes to say, you're pregnant. These are, not, these are life-ending circumstances for Mary. This is not a day to rejoice. Until the angel tells her, the baby that's inside of you is the Messiah. The baby that is inside of you is Christ the Lord. The baby that is inside of you will establish the house of Jacob. Ooh, houses. You see, God didn't want David to make him a house of cedar, uh, God didn't want to be enshrined in a temple. God wanted to be incarnated into our lives. And so here in the midst of the story of the Annunciation, we have the story of how uh, God is bringing uh, through the plan 
of redemption, the plan of salvation. And it's right, Pastor Kate told the kids that uh, Mary doesn't get to name the child, right? I'd like for you to try that. The next time you're around someone who is uh, newly pregnant, say, uh, you don't get to choose the name of the baby. In fact, um, future grandparents, this is a great way to, you know, spice things up in the relationship with your adult children, right? I mean, if things are just going so swimmingly well that there's no excitement anymore, you're finding yourself running out of uh, TV uh, shows to DVR, here it is, right? Tell them what the name of the child will be. And how does Mary take to that idea? She's so excited, she sings a song. We call it the Magnificat. I mean, if you could take uh, the beauty of the music that Anne Elizabeth had offered to us here in the anthem and place it in the mouth of Mary there in the midst of Palestine, there you have the joy that Mary, the unwed, teenage, pregnant woman, would have at having Jesus. It's so interesting that uh, before Advent, we try to... um, satisfy all of our wants through Black Friday in the same way that David tried to satisfy his feeling of pride and um, not measuring up as king by making sure that God was in a cedar temple. In the same way that we think strange thoughts about why in the world might Mary be uh, unwed and pregnant, but yet Mary does not think about all of these things that are wrong and need to be made right. She just realizes that God's using her that she is in the path of God, uh, that God will bring about redemption through her commitment and her life. Uh, I love the words that the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what does all this have to do? Houses and uh, suns that aren't shining and yearning and hunger. What does that have to do with today? You know, when we think about over the last two months here at Chapelwood, we've been talking about this default theology that's not of the Bible called moralistic therapeutic deism. If you're a guest, hang with me. We'll get there, right? Moralistic therapeutic deism is this idea that, uh, that God only likes me when I do good things. Moralistic, right? And so if I do good things, if I listen to the angel on this shoulder, then God says, yay, I love you, and you'll get to go to heaven. Reward. But if you do bad things, then I have nothing to do with you and I'm done with you. I listened to the angel or the little devil on this side, and God won't have anything to do with me. And the idea of of therapeutic is this idea that God wants me to feel good, right? It's kind of that name it and claim it theology that you see on TV sometimes. You want a BMW? Just name it and claim it. Speak it to the universe and God will bless you. In fact, if you're doing the good things, moralistic, then God will make sure, therapeutically, you'll be taken care of. Ooh, really? Talk to uh, Mother Teresa about that one, right? That faithful people get more stuff is a strange theology. And if you push towards the last word, deism, I know, big, big words, frustrating words, but deism is this idea that God created the world and said, wow, pretty cool. It takes care of itself, and then walked away. 
Because if it takes care of itself, why do I need to worry about the world anymore? That I, I set up good laws of physics and science and nature, and if something goes wrong, it's okay. That's why I gave you doctors. If something goes wrong, it's okay. That's why I gave you lawyers. If something goes wrong, that's okay. That's why I gave you engineers. So glad you're with me. <laughs> Waiting for a laughter at one of those three. But see, the problem with um, God loves us if we choose right and doesn't if we choose wrong, and that God wants us to feel good all the time, and the idea that God will never break into salvation history because the world takes care of itself, it is, um, it's a great theology when things are going well, but it doesn't handle shipwreck very well. Shipwreck is uh, Reinhold Niebuhr's uh, word. He was a, a theologian in the 50s. He says, when life hits the rocks and the ship is about to sink, moralistic therapeutic deism doesn't do a good job. That if religion has only been the wallpaper of your life, it becomes really irrelevant when you're bailing out the water trying to figure out how to survive in the moment. That if all church does is teach us how to be nice. It's really hard to be nice in the midst of a shipwreck. What we need to be is strong. What we need to be is faithful. You see, Christians are not called to avoid suffering, but rather we are called to run towards it, right? You remember the uh, words that Mr. Rogers said about 9-11, said when you talk to your kids uh, don't, uh, about 9-11, uh, don't ask them to think only about those who are running away from the bomb, but instead focus on those who are running towards the explosion. Look for those heroes who run towards the suffering. I'd be willing to say that that would be what Jesus would want us to do, to move towards the suffering, because Christians believe in this dying and rising again pattern. We call it Easter or resurrection. I also refer to it as hope, that when we believe in a God who loves us not because we do right or wrong, but because of who we are, right? That's the idea of adoption. If you've ever adopted a child, do you ask them, well, what's the GPA of that child? I only want to take the one that has a 4.0. No, adoption is not about whether you do right or wrong. It's who you are. It's the chance to fill your life with the love of someone else. And so uh, if uh, God is only interested in making sure that we feel good, well, then there's a number of us who are really having a hard time, whether it's divorce or diagnosis of cancer or whether it's the death of a spouse or whether it's the loss of a job. God must not be doing a really good job of making sure we feel good if that's all God is doing. And of course, in the end, if we have to wait until the end of time for God to set everything right, if God's not going to enter in, then how do we ever find a moment here where God will break into our lives? If God set up the world and walked away, why did he come back and talk to Mary? If God set up the world and walked away, God, why did God come and talk to you? If God set up the world and walked away, why is it that we see amazing movements of God's Spirit in the world around us. You see, at Chapelwood, we want to move past this moralistic, therapeutic deism that doesn't rely upon the Bible, but rather applies upon uh, us making good choices, feeling good, uh, and not worrying about what God's going to do for us. 
Instead, we want to be the kind of people that live deeply into God's story, uh, that uh, understand how God has broken into our lives and called us to a higher purpose. And then we want to learn the language of faith. It's not the language of success. It's the language of trusting and believing in a God who does what he says he's going to do. So the theme for our series, I Believe in the Sun, even when it's not shining, uh, goes on. It's a, a poem. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. And I believe in God, even when he's silent. This uh, poem was written. Uh, so this defiant statement of faith was scrawled on the wall of a cellar in Cologne by a Jew hiding from the Nazi Gestapo during World War II. American soldiers discovered it, and it was written below a beautifully painted Star of David. You see, when the American soldiers came in, uh, the, the people who were hiding there were no longer there, most likely had already been transported to a concentration camp, probably already uh, had been um, uh, part of the genocide of six million Jews. What is it like to hide from those who would have you dead? Sheerly for your belief in a God and in a religion called Judaism. But yet, you write on the wall, I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. I believe in God, even when he's silent. You see, Advent comes to us and says, yes, you're hungry. Advent comes to us and says, yes, you're yearning for something more. Advent comes to us and says, yes, it's a long time to wait. But Advent says, in the lighting of the Advent wreath, in the beauty of the Christmas tree, in this darkness of winter, the light is going to be born. That we yearn and hope, not as those who don't know what they hope for, but we know that the one who will save us comes not in a beautiful cedar temple, but incarnate in the flesh of an infant, vulnerable, maybe a little smelly, loud and complaining, but see that, that hope for something new is the reality of the birth of a God who loves us, will walk with us, die for us, and raise together with us. Come along on a journey with us towards Christmas Eve, where we'll look together at a faith that can handle shipwreck, at a hope that is more than cotton candy, and that in a faith that believes in the sun when it's not shining, in love when we don't feel it, and in God, even when he's silent. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, we don't think that God wants us to uh, eat the whole elephant at once, but rather to just take one step. We look around in the world around us, and we see so many people that are planted exactly where they are, where they've been for so long. But God wants us to go on a journey wants us to take that next step. And so I encourage you to take that next step to be the kind of church that doesn't avoid suffering, but runs towards it. Uh, to be the kind of people who recognize that God is not absent from the world, 
but just waiting to use our hands to care for others. That the hope that we love and that we believe in is not a cotton candy, fluffy kind of hope. It's the kind of hope of substance and real change. So one of the ways that you can be involved in real change in the world is ringing a bell. Can you do this? That is so easy, right? Can you ring a bell? If you can ring a bell, then I want you to go down towards the coffee that's at the other end of the building, and you'll find a sign-up sheet uh, on the side that you can ring the bell for Salvation Army. And you can say, really, that's real change, preacher? Yep, because if you ring that bell and stare people down as they're headed into the mall, they'll put their money in that bucket. And I don't know anybody better at helping people than the Salvation Army. You know they're part of that Wesleyan Methodist family tree. There are also other ways that you can be directly involved with the care and suffering with others. Um, if you'll uh, look around on our website and our newsletter, uh, if you'll just ask somebody next to you, uh, you're probably within uh, spitting distance of somebody who's deeply involved in the care of others, and they'll gladly, gladly point you towards those resources. Uh, and, and also, if today's the day you'd like to join this for church family, come down and talk to Pastor Kate and I, and we'd love to plan for that day when you'll join the church. Uh, but for now, um, let's uh, close with our uh, closing song, um, Hymn of Promise 707. Uh, David's going to come and lead us in that. I think we have a few Stephen ministers uh, in the house. They have uh, blue shirts on with their name tags on. Usually they'll gather over here. Um, so if you're looking for somebody to pray with you uh, or to seek out some care, uh, the Stephen ministers would love to arrange uh, for that care for you. Or we've got a wonderful prayer chapel right back here, uh, a private confidential place where they would gladly lift you up in prayer. In fact, I'll stand here um, in case there's no Stephen ministers headed this way. But why don't you grab a hand next to you for our closing benediction? And let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, we give thanks that you've made us uh, creatures who yearn for something more. Remind us during this Advent season that not only do we yearn for more, but that you yearn for a relationship with us. Send us out into the world to be light and salt and peace to a world that needs a little bit of light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.